The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Forty-nine different rejections, but eventually some agents took pity on me more than anything, probably, and said, "Hey, I think I can represent this book." And, and lo and behold, it sold, and another one sold, and, and my clients became suspicious something was wrong with their veterinarian. You know, mostly because of you know posters and lobbies that says, "You know, get your cat spayed, get a free book." Uh, so uh, questions would arise across the exam table. You know, Doctor Jim, you have the successful veterinary hospital. What's this writing stuff you're doing? You know, what's your you know, long-term goals with all of this? And I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm just going to finish draining your dog's anal glands, but I will try to explain this as well as I can. You know, for 15 years, veterinary medicine was my paycheck and writing was a hobby. You know, maybe down the line, it'd be fun to see that reverse where veterinary medicine becomes my hobby and uh, writing becomes my paycheck. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Number one New York Times bestselling author James Rollins spoke to me about his alter ego, veterinarian Dr. Jim, how to write two staccato-paced novels a year, and his latest Sigma Force installment, Tides of Fire. James is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Sigma Force series, six standalone adventure thrillers, a novelization of the Indiana Jones franchise, and many others, totaling over 44 novels, and even he can't remember the exact number. His latest in his most popular series is Tides of Fire, a Sigma Force novel set on an international research station in the Coral Sea that comes under siege during a geological disaster and triggers massive quakes, deadly tsunamis, and volcanic eruptions. To stop the world from burning, it's up to Sigma Force to uncover a secret buried at the heart of our planet. Publishers Weekly said of the book, The X-Files meets SEAL Team 6 in Rollins' imaginative, pulse-pounding 17th Sigma Force thriller, Rollins' gleeful, everything-but-the-kitchen-sink approach works well here, nimbly balancing popcorn action with mind-blowing scientific speculation. James's novels have sold over 20 million copies and are published in more than 40 languages worldwide. In this file, James and I discussed how 49 rejections early in his career didn't sway his passion for writing, keeping all of the plots and characters organized in his many series, the panic that comes with every undertaking, why he adds illustrations and appendices to his books, the unique research process that goes into his prescient novels, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates 
and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. Yes, we are back on The Writer Files. I am honored today to be joined by an esteemed guest. Yes, we have number one New York Times bestselling author, James Rollins is hanging out with us today. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. I appreciate also the uh, description of esteemed. Not quite sure that applies to me, but uh, I'll accept it. <laughs> okay. Um, for today, you can be esteemed. And um, yeah, I can't wait to talk about your latest, Tides of Fire, and of course, this uh, storied writing career, which is kind of head spinning. Um, I'm sure as you look back, you kind of... Uh, can't believe it yourself, but we want to talk about that. And of course, yeah, this long string of very successful international thrillers and and all the inspiration and research that goes into these intense books. And and yeah, let's talk about um, kind of your superhero origins because you know I we we, we always joke about you know kind of the, these ten year overnight successes that authors encounter and um, take us back a little bit because you know I understand that you once were a veterinarian and have had uh, an alternate life, but we're always kind of a storyteller. So talk a little bit about kind of this uh, really, really fascinating circuitous uh, route to where you are today. Well, I still, um, I still do practice veterinary medicine. Uh, I often will attest, you know, it's really cool to have number one New York times bestselling author written across the top of my, uh, cover jackets, but the, the greater claim to fame is I can still neuter a cat in under 30 seconds. Uh, I still work with a group that traps feral cats, wild cats. They bring them to the shelter, and one Sunday a month, I uh, spay and neuter them. So it's, I still keep my, you know, my toe in the water, so to speak, because that was always my first passion was, was veterinary medicine. You know, that's what I career tracked towards. I, I knew from third grade I wanted to be a veterinarian. Uh, got that assignment you get some point in your school years where the teacher says, hey, go home, write a few paragraphs about what you want to be when you grow up. And I remember I want to be veterinarian. I remember this. I had a blank sheet of paper in front of me. Just didn't know how to spell the word veterinarian. So I thought I could cheat and put policeman, fireman, go out and play. But I did the one thing all you know, third graders hate to do. I got the dictionary and looked it up. Determined from you know, third grade to be a veterinarian. <laughs> and it's pretty much us. You know, I never thought a career as a, as a writer. I mean, I read a lot. And I thought, you know, it wouldn't be cool at some point to walk into a bookstore and see my book on a shelf. But never seemed like a, a viable career path. Uh, you, you can do this, this, and this, and, and become a successful veterinarian. And you can do this, this, and this, and fail horribly as a writer. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and uh, you know career track towards veterinary medicine, and uh, you know I got accepted. But uh, you know, so the other side of my personality was a storyteller. I grew up with three brothers and three sisters, and you know my goal in life was to you know convince them of the most outlandish tales I could possibly come up with, and you know if. Usually the scarier, the better. If tears were involved, even better. And, uh, you know, my mom called it lying. I call it storytelling. And uh, so (laughs) when you're reading, that's like throwing gasoline on that side of your brain. And so even though I, you know, got accepted to vet school, went through my veterinary school years and, you know, started as an employed vet, eventually, you know, started my own clinic. And I had that clinic for about 15 years. Um, I just began writing as a hobby. And there was no intention beyond maybe seeing a short story published, maybe seeing, you know, you know heaven forbid that I should actually uh, believe that I can get a book published. But, you know, it was something fun to do. It was a social outlet. Uh, there was a group here in Sacramento 
uh, a writer's club that had a, that broke into little critique groups. And uh, I still belong to that same critique group. I joined, uh, let's say 30 years ago. Let's, let's pretend that's the real number. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I didn't have any success trying to sell any of my short stories, but uh, based upon that extreme amount of success, I decided I was confident enough to do my first novel. And uh, I got a lot of rejections for that, uh, 49 different rejections, but eventually some agents took pity on me more than anything, probably, and said, hey, I think I can represent this book. And, and lo and behold, it sold, and another one sold. And, and my clients became suspicious something was wrong with their veterinarian, you know, mostly because of, you know, posters and lobbies that says, you know, get your cat's way, get a free book. Uh, so uh, <laughs> questions would arise across the exam table. You know, Dr. Jim, you have the successful veterinary hospital. What's this writing stuff you're doing? You know, what's your your long-term goals with all of this. I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm just going to finish draining your dog's anal glands, but I will try to explain this as well as I can. You know, for 15 years, veterinary medicine was my paycheck and writing was a hobby. You know, maybe down the line, it'd be fun to see that reverse where veterinary medicine becomes my hobby and uh, writing becomes my paycheck. And that's pretty much where I'm at this point. Like I said, I still do some volunteer work and I can still spay and neuter on a regular basis. So I pretty much achieved that goal at this point where, you know, I earn my living via writing, but I just uh, treat my veterinary medicine career as a hobby. Yeah, that's quite a story to where you are today, which requires a, um, a study of a bibliography that stretches for, let's see how many pages. Uh, I'm on one of like 25 pages here. Um, so do you know, like, have you lost track of the number of actual books? Because we're talking about Tides of Fire today, obviously, as a Sigma Force novel, which has been this incredibly successful series. But you you write multiple series, you've written under multiple pen names. And yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible to see that you that we even need separate readers guides uh, for the for the different, you know, uh, things that you've been juggling this whole time. Yeah, it's, it's useful for me to have those 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 guides also as I jump between <laughs> the different series. It's like, okay, let me refresh myself. You know, who all these characters are, what their ages are, what color their eyes are. Uh, just it's a nice to have those bibles uh, readily available. As to the number of books, uh, you know, Tides of Fire is my seventeenth uh, Sigma novel. I believe that's correct. And uh, I I've been saying this during this uh, book tour that I I'm on my forty fourth novel. I've been saying that for a few years, so I'm not quite sure that's <laughs> accurate anymore. <laughs> somebody asked me that before. Like, there was, yeah. Somebody came on Q&A. They said, Jimmy, he said you had 44 books, and that was like three years ago. <laughs> I know you've done more books since then. Right, okay, maybe right. I have better, better, better recount that number. Right. Somewhere in that vicinity. The New York Times said Rollins is what you might wind up with if you tossed Michael Crichton and Dan Brown into a particle accelerated together. Uh, two other um, kind of giants in the space whose names also appear larger than the titles. Um, it would appear um, that you have grown to that level of uh, acclaim. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, like I said, my goal was to walk into a bookstore and see, you know, one book on the shelf. But now, you know, I have a shelf of books out there, which is a it's a weird thing to see. Yeah, it's like a, a true, a truly like a library of of the Rollins oeuvre. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. 
And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Looking back, yeah, probably somewhat unbelievable to you, but have you had any moments? I know because now you, you speak with, you know, writers groups and authors and, and you know, you, you share um, some mentoring and wisdom and advice and speak to bigger groups. But is there, is there, has, was there ever a moment of kind of like, you know, I've talked to many authors um, before about this kind of disbelief or, or almost like... Um, you know, like this feeling of imposter syndrome at some point when, when the success grows to such a, such a level of expectation. Definitely. I, and I, I don't think I ever quite escaped that feeling that, you know, this is not my true career. I, I still sometimes people say, well, what do you do for a living? And my first thing is I'm a veterinarian. Oh, oh, but now I write books. So my default is still veterinarian is my career. And it just, I'm just lucky to you know be able to to add the caveat that, oh, yes, by the way, I also write these books on the side. And again, it might be a matter, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons I uh, still do my volunteer work. I still expect at some point somebody to say, hey, Jim, you know, you really can't write. We just realized, you know, pick up that scalpel and, and go back to your real real job, uh, you know, even after this point. And, and it happens with every book. For any writers out there, they, they probably can relate to this. You know, early on in my career, I'd start a book and be really excited about it. It's this bright, shiny penny in my head, and I can't wait to get out of paper. And you start it, and you're enthusiastic about it. And then you get about to the mid part of the books, and then you think, oh, my gosh, this is good. This is horrible. I don't know what I'm doing. These, the, you know, I've, I've written myself into a corner. I've, I've juggled too many balls into the air. They're not going to drop where they need to drop them. And then I get this panic of, of that, you know, this is the end of my career, this book is going to be uh, James Rollins just jumped the chart. This is you know the last book he's ever going to write. But then of course you got to you know I've got a deadline, so I just put my head down and just grind through that. And you know once I get to the end and the end is in sight and I get finished, and like, hey that you know the book was great. I know what I was thinking about. That won't happen next time. Oh yeah, it does every single time. 
you know, I just finished the sequel to Tides of Fire and halfway through, uh, the book's called Archangel. But halfway through that book, I'm thinking, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I've lost it. But uh, it worked out fine. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And congrats, of course, on um, Tides of Fire, the latest out now. And I thought uh, a couple, I was going to read a couple quick reviews. Uh, the X-Files meets SEAL Team 6 and Rollins Imaginative pulse-pounding 17th Sigma Force thriller. This gleeful everything but the kitchen sink approach works well here, nimbly balancing popcorn action with mind-blowing scientific speculation. Authors rarely been better at making the implausible feel plausible. And that's something that's been said about your work often, of course, taking unseen world scientific breakthroughs and historical secrets and kind of mixing them into this signature brew. And, and Lee Child, of course, even said, nobody does this stuff better, which, you know, some high praise from, from some big name peers. It would seem, uh, yeah, it's got to feel good. What's, what's the vibe about um, how, how, how was the book tour? You were out there kind of mixing it up and, and clad handing a little bit and meeting your, your readers and, and fans. Yeah, it's always a great deal of fun because you know, writing's a solitary profession. You know, I, I share my chapters with my critique group, but mostly you're just you know you're just talking to yourself uh, in your office and, and hoping that this joke works or this action set, you know set piece is uh, as exciting as it seems to you. Uh, so to go out into the uh, on a book tour is almost like a it's like a victory lap. You know, you get to go out there and and hear what people are saying about it. And, you know, it's, it's fun seeing the enthusiasm. You know that you know jacks you up to be able to to continue on with your next book because it's you know now you sort of see your audience that you're you're trying to address with your books, and when you see their enthusiasm, it's very it's, you know it lights a fire under you a little bit to to try to do better or at least uh, keep up that same level of excitement. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and as you had had mentioned, um, Tides of Fire, uh, you kind of describe as a disaster movie in novel format, and I'm very taken by. Not only the amount of uh, real world research that you do for the books and kind of incorporating almost you know ripped from the headline stuff, which we can talk about, but um, the illustrations and these kind of uh, append appendices of uh, notes from the scientific record and so on and so forth. That must be fun for you to kind of put together because it seems like a part you know that not not every thriller writer is is doing kind of for these. I, I would say meticulously plotted thrillers whenever i read a book i like you know when there's some illustrations or drawings or maps and so uh you know with tides of fire there's a lot in there uh, mostly because some of it needed some you know they always say uh, uh, pictures with a thousand words so i can get a lot across uh by just adding a little picture to to the prose itself uh in regards to the the science you know I, again you know my goal is hopefully when you when you're reading the book your pulse is pounding and you want to get to your next chapter and you're going to read it until late into the evening or even you know overnight but i'm hoping that when someone closes the book they're, they're left with a little bit of something to think about uh, i have that what's true what's not section that i conclude each book where i sort of pull aside the curtain and share you know how much of the book is based on fact and how much is based on fiction or my, my own imagination or extrapolation and I offer some breadcrumbs for if there's any topics that are of intrigue to the uh, audience, they could pick up those breadcrumbs and follow them. So, you know, one of the greatest compliments I get is, hey, Jim, I enjoyed that book, but I was really interested in this aspect of the story. So I went ahead and, and looked a little deeper into it, and I had some questions about that, or I'm curious about this. So it's, it's fun having that dialogue about sort of the, the, the reality based you know, behind the, uh, the fictional story that I'm telling. Yeah, for sure. And you've been lauded 
for that um, in this series, especially uh, Wall Street Journal had mentioned science fiction and archaeology had a long relationship. The link is a conviction that there is a hidden truth in the relics of dead civilizations and that this can be uncovered by what we now know about science. Um, and they said, I thought this was a very complimentary thing to say. They said, uh, the dominant figure in this area of fiction right now is James Rollins. And um, yeah, that, 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 that seems like high praise there. You know, Michael, I, when I was first starting to write, I thought I was writing science fiction. You know, my first book, Subterranean, had telepathic marsupial creatures that were living underneath Antarctica. So to me, I thought I'm writing science fiction. My editor said, oh, no, it can't be science fiction because you said it in modern times. Uh, therefore, it's a thriller. And that's the way we're going to publish it. So you know, while I was growing up, again, I mentioned I, I read a lot. And I was throwing gasoline on that twisted corner of my brain. But I didn't lump myself to one genre. I, you know, I'm sitting in my office right now. And I've got you know, mysteries. I've got thrillers. I've got you know, James Michener collection. I've got old pulp novels from the 30s and, 30s and 40s that I had loved to read when I was growing up. I've got science fiction, fantasy, uh, horror. Uh, I read anything that would sort of intrigue me. And so when it came, whenever I teach writing, I said you should write what you love to read. And unfortunately, because I love to read so much, uh, my books become this amalgam of different types of genres. I mean, there's a military thriller aspect to the story. There's a science fiction aspect to the story. There's a fantastical element to the story. And, uh, you know, actually when I, you know, HarperCollins has been my publisher since Subterranean with my thrillers. And uh, so I've been with them for quite a long time. And after I published maybe, I don't know, maybe four or five books with HarperCollins, I was finally invited to the, the Grand Temple of HarperCollins in New York City. I had never been there before. I had never even met my, my editor face-to-face -face at this point. So this is my first introduction to the whole publishing world in New York. And I'm sitting at this big, you know, at the top of the tower of, of HarperCollins, at this big boardroom with this huge long, you know, table. And there's the entire staff is there. There's a marketing department you know, for all the different types of the sales department, the art department. At the end of the table is is uh, Michael Morrison, the head of Harper, of Harper at that point. And he sort of stands up and looks, and I'm at the other side of the table, of course. Uh, and he's, you know, stares down this long table at me and goes, Jim, you know, we published a few of your books right now, but to be honest with you, we're not entirely sure what you write. <laughs> uh, which I thought, oh, you've published a few of my books. Hopefully you somewhat know what I write. Because my books are, uh, you know, a bit of a mix of, you know, archaeology and history and military thriller and you know, espionage and spycraft and you know, everything I love to read. So that I end up, you know, folding into my into my novels all into one. Yeah. Obviously, this book, Tides of Fire, incorporates a lot of elements that you mentioned. And as this kind of page-turning thriller, as, as you mentioned, this kind of uh, disaster movie in a novel covers a lot of ground. But I thought what I found interesting also was that you had mentioned recently that one of the issues that the new book addresses is this privatization of scientific exploration. And of course, this was that ripped from the headlines piece that you presciently kind of had tackled already. You did a lot of research on this, obviously, but with the recent headlines of the tragic implosion of that submersible that was uh, attempting to explore the Titanic, right? Which we were, we were all just kind of like, whoa, holding our breath, literally, because we didn't know <laughs> if this thing was going to be found. It was already, it was kind of like the plot of a, of a thriller. But yeah, it was sadly, um, you know, a, a tragedy. But um, yeah, talk a little bit about, you know, kind of, I don't know, I'm super curious about your 
it must be an intensive research process and kind of like then also in that process of not only writing this novel as it were are you how are you switching how are you setting the desk and then also simultaneously writing another for another series uh set in a different you know world how, how are you juggling it all can you kind of give us a little uh primer on how this process works for you well some people ask me do you like since right now i'm writing a, a fantasy series and the sigma series uh one book of each comes out every year and they ask me do you write them simultaneously and, and no i can't uh, I've tried that once uh, with Sandstorm and one of my my fantasies, and it, it just uh, it's like tripping gears in your head trying to shift between those two that that frequently because you know your staccato paced thriller, you know it's very research intense. Everything has to be factual. You know if you if you're putting Starbucks in a city, you got to make sure that Starbucks is where it is because somebody in that city is going to tag you if you're wrong about where that Starbucks is located. So every little detail has to be correct. Uh, worth fantasy it's world building you got to structure this entire multi-level society from you know its history to its its own archaeology to its own religion to uh, its own language to its own magic system and that requires its own level of uh, notes that you have to keep track of but when it comes to the basic gist of the way i handle things is you know i'm always got my antenna up for those new ideas uh i'm looking for those historical mysteries those pieces of history that end a question mark something i can solve within the pages of a novel I'm looking for those, you know, what ifs of science, uh, things that might uh, challenge or intrigue me or I get to extrapolate where that's headed. Uh, then I try to find that history and that science that I can cobble together. And I allow myself about 90 days of advanced research where I'm now talking to scientists. I'm doing my intense research, getting all my big questions answered before I start the book. And I like talking to scientists uh, versus just, uh, you know, reading their journal articles or the books they've written because science changes very rapidly and book writing is a long process from those 90 days of research to the six months of writing the first draft to the months of editing and polishing with the publishing house and then even when we're done with that it's going to be another eight to 12 months before that book hits the shelf so during that long window science can change and my secret fear is you know, i'm going to include science in a book that by the time the book gets published is going to be either proven wrong or out of date or some other other research other authors already handled that subject matter so some people said gosh jimmy you seem like you're clairvoyant because it seems like a lot of the topics that you raise in your novel suddenly as soon as the book comes out it's, it's in the news and it's not because i'm pressing it's just because two years ago i was talking to that scientist on the phone and i'm asking him don't tell me what you're going to put in your next research article or book because that information already is months if not years old you know look over your shoulder and tell me what's on your work table right now because i need that level of immediacy uh so that it feels fresh when the book comes out two years later and so a lot of times what happens is a book gets published at the same time that scientist is producing this journal article that suddenly gets snapped up by becomes a viral you know article about you know octopuses in space or something about along that line and uh and all of a sudden, like, Jim, Jim, it's like you're clairvoyant that you wrote this book, and all of a sudden, we're all talking about it. And no, it's not clairvoyant; just that the doctor, the scientist, told me about it two years ago. But again, I have you know Bibles for Sigma, I have Bibles for the fantasy uh, books, and you know I just have to. I, I generally will before I dive into the next book, even though I, I think I know the characters really well, especially with Sigma characters. You know, the seventeen books they're pretty much branded in my head. But I'll still, I'll still go through just to make sure that you know 
you know, Monk lost a hand. Let's make sure that it's the right hand that you mentioned in the book that he lost and he haven't suddenly switched hands. Uh, so it's little tiny details that are easy to get lost in the wash that uh, the Bibles help keep me straight. Yeah. Speaking of those Bibles, are they digital? Um, are they uh, like in the form of uh, some kind of a notebook that you keep or is it like a combination? It's a combination. Typically what I'll do is I have you know, all my notes already on like digital files. But when I'm actually working on a novel and I'm, and I'm you know, characters now changing because someone gets injured, so I've got to you know, add that injury so that when they appear in the next book, the injury is still there. They haven't miraculously healed from that. Uh, that generally is handwritten. So I'll, I'll handwrite all my you know, little uh, additional information that I want to include. But then when I've done the book, I'll incorporate those written notes into my physical digital files. Very cool. Um, are you a morning writer, an evening writer? or a combo? I typically write in the morning just because that's when I, I seem to have the most free time, but I don't need to. I mean, I've written, you know, from midnight to 8 a.m. overnight. You know, when I first started to practice, or sort of a hobby of writing, I was still practicing full-time as a veterinarian. So I was generally working during my lunch hour because I made a commitment to myself that I had to write uh, three double space pages five out of seven days of the week. So basically, it's like a page and a half five out of seven days of the week. And so I generally work on that during my lunch hour. And so during my lunch hour, I'm working in my office. So there's you know, dogs barking, cats meowing, phones ringing, interruptions from the receptionist. So there's always a bit of chaos going on. So what I found now is I can't write in dead silence. Uh, there has to be a little bit of white noise in the background, uh, or for some reason, I just can't concentrate. I need something to just be playing in the background. You know, now I just make a commitment to myself since I do have to get two books done per year. Uh, to, to accomplish that, it's not a it's not an, an arduous task as some people may believe. I just now write five double space pages, five out of seven days of the week, and if I can stick to that, it's very easy to get two books done. Because uh, basically, if you're doing five double space pages, that's twenty five pages a week times twenty times fifty two weeks. Maybe I take skip a week or here promotions or for going on a book tour where my writing is not as uh, I'm not going to do five pages a day when I'm on tour. But it's very simple to get two books done if you just stick to that regimen. So, you know, if I get busy in the morning, let's say in the morning I'm going to go kayaking or, the, or I you know, have some other obligations, then I will just before they, I can put my head on my pillow, that, that fifth page has to be done. Very cool. Yeah. Super inspiring. Um, workmanlike. And, and yeah, um, kudos on the latest. Obviously, I will link to your home base there at jamesrollins.com. You're on all the socials. Um, this great Instagram and others. And um, yeah, I was going to just throw in um, a quick description of the book, which I thought was obviously doesn't really describe it uh, in, in, in full, but we're not doing any, any spoilers on this one, but your uh, latest thriller set on an international research station in the Coral Sea that comes under siege during a geological disaster that triggers massive quakes at least tsunamis and volcanic eruptions to stop the world from burning. It's up to Sigma force to uncover a secret buried at the heart of our planet. Um, were there a Sigma force in real life? It'd probably be right about now that they'd be <laughs> jumping into action. Right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I wonder if, you know, Sigma force isn't actually out there somewhere. Let's hope so. I've gone to the Smithsonian castle where there were, you know, supposedly, uh, Sigma Force is located, and I kept, you know, expecting at some point somebody tapped me on the shoulder and just, "You're James Rollins, right? How do you know about our organization?" <laughs> exactly. You, 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 you're, you better watch your back, James. No, <laughs> but uh, really, congrats on the latest 
the reception. Um, and we'll be thrilled uh, for your next installment, of course, of both series. Yeah, um, one last fun question. I know you got to run uh, your quick um, final uh, pearl of wisdom on how to keep going. I mentioned I do five pages a day. One of the things that I have a little post-it note right next to my uh, computer, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, it's a little post-it note that says, today I give myself permission to write crap. Love that. Is that I've got to write five pages, but they don't necessarily have to be good pages. What I found is a trap for easy to fall into is that you think you have to write perfect prose and that can just, uh, you're not going to hobble you. You, you got to let that editor go in your head and just put those words on paper and it's, you know, it's much easier to edit what, what's there versus trying to create perfect prose sentence by sentence by sentence. Amazing advice. Give yourself permission to write crap. I think that's the perfect place to sign off. We got it. And uh, best of luck out there on the tour, the rest of the uh, promotion. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to Writer files.fm for more that's writerfiles.fm can you hear me yes i can yep okay i lost you for a minute sorry okay you still with me yeah i can hear you just fine okay okay i don't know I, did you stop speaking and i just <laughs> didn't yeah, pick yeah up i stopped speaking and i thought maybe you were like looking you looked something oh up, like, you drifted off to sleep there for a while <laughs>